Reagan, and I wanted to uh, share my story about the power of prayer has had in my life in the last few months. Um, I'm a six-year breast cancer survivor, and I went for my annual mammogram this summer, and they called me back to do additional views, um, which I wasn't too concerned about. Um, I go back, um, and the radiologist said that he thinks that I need to have a lumpectomy on the other side um, because there's an area of concern. And so um, I said, well, I see my oncologist tomorrow. I have a scheduled appointment with him, and we can talk about it then. And he said, or we can just schedule it right now. And the next morning I went to the oncologist, and when I was brought back to the room, the woman who brought me back, she said, oh, I see you're here for a new breast cancer diagnosis. And I said, maybe. And um, she said, oh, I see you just had this done last night. I'm sorry. And she walks out. So the oncologist comes in, who I love and trust um, completely, and he greeted me with, hey, sorry, have you considered a double mastectomy? And so I kind of stared at him blankly, and so he came in and explained, you know, why he thought that that should be the treatment regimen I should have um, so that I can stay healthy. And so that was the plan. And we left you right there. There's, uh, no, we're going to finish the, the rest of that testimony in just, uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, but just want to say hi to those who are watching online around the country and around the world. We love you. Really appreciate you being here. And especially we appreciate you being here. Uh, and, and just want to say uh, Merry Christmas. We started last week on a, a series on, uh, called um, This Isn't What I Expected. And what it is is just showing that a lot of times in life, Christmas or an area of life or even life in general doesn't, things turn out different than what we expected. That things, sometimes life throws us a curveball. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation that we never thought we'd find ourselves. And, and, and we saw that every one of the central characters last, uh, last week we, uh, in, the, in the Christmas story, every single one of them went through things that they never thought they'd be going through at the first Christmas. I mean, for instance, you had Mary that just thought she was just going to be a, a, a wife to, to, to Joseph and, and go through, you know, have a, a normal Jewish family in those days. But suddenly, uh, Angel Gabriel comes and says that she's going to be with child. And, and that throws a kink and a monkey wrench in everything that she's planning. And, and then you have Joseph, who he's just wanting to marry Mary, the, the, the love of his life. And suddenly, he finds out that she is with, with child. And he knows he's done nothing, you know, no part of that. So he's broken heart. And he is absolutely crushed in his heart. And, and, and so that's not what he expected to be happening either. But then the beautiful thing is uh, the angel tells what exactly took place and that this was of God and, and that Mary had done nothing wrong. And so there was the, there was the joyous celebration of, of, of both of them coming back and saying the wedding's back on and, and, and just a, a great celebration and great, uh, and great intimacy there. But then you'd think that after they found out that the, that the baby was going to be the son of God, that the baby was going to be the Messiah, you would have thought for sure that at that point everything's going to go smooth. But we find out that's not what took place. In fact, it was the exact opposite, that Mary, nine months pregnant, had to go on the back of a donkey, a 90-mile journey, seven to ten days on the back of a, a donkey. And then they, they finally got to Bethlehem, and it wasn't the way they were hoping there either. It wasn't what they expected. Everything, uh, all the, the inns were, were filled up, and there was no place to stay. And, and they had to end up being in a, a stable, that Mary had to give birth in a stable surrounded by animals, and Joseph had to help. And be a part of that. 
And again, the last thing they expected, and especially the, and even the, the wise men come in, and what they were expecting was completely different from what they found. The, the, the people would tell us that they tra- probably traveled over, over two years in order to be there. They traveled across the known world in order to be there with, uh, with, to, to see the, the baby. And it's not what they expected when they got there. Certainly, if they were expecting to see the king of the Jews, it was going to be uh, in Jerusalem, and it was going to be, the child was going to be born in a palace and the, the child was going to be wrapped in purple cloth, right? But then instead, they see that the, 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 the star isn't over Jerusalem, it's over Bethlehem. And instead of the, the palace, they find a stable. And instead of the, the boy wrapped in, 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 in purple, they find him wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a, a feeding trough. And, and that certainly wasn't they were expecting. Nobody got what they were expecting. Everybody had a different situation when they were expecting there. And then you'd think that finally when the, when the wise men left, that things would start getting to normal. Finally, things would just get to, to a normal life. But even then, it wasn't what they expected. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And it says this in verse 13. When they, talking about the, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mothers and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. Don't miss this. That Joseph did exactly what the, what the angel told him to do in the dream, which he always did. Every time you see Joseph, God telling him to do something, he immediately obeyed. And he immediately obeyed and he found he and his whole family in a desert. I mean, I've been to Egypt and except for a couple of places, it's a desert. And I've been to deserts around the, 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 the world. And you know what I found out about deserts is deserts are bleak. And deserts are arid, and deserts, uh, deserts are dry, and, and deserts are, are lonely, amazingly lonely, and they sure seem God-forsaken, don't they? And, uh, and I remember one desert I was in one time with a friend. He and I were in a desert, and we went out, stayed there several days, but one day we went out for, for the whole day. We were just going to pray by ourselves in the middle of the desert, and, and being, you know, stupid at that time, we brought, like, not anywhere close to the amount of water that we needed. And I came back, I have never been so thirsty in my entire life. I mean, never. And it was just, I felt like the, the guy in the Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, when he drinks and it just goes right out. That's what it kind of felt like. There was, I could not get enough to drink. And it was really weird. It was so dry that you turn on the water fountain there and about three or four yellow jackets would between, be between you and the, and the, the, you know, the spigot trying to get a drink as well. It was really dry. But here's the thing that I found out just like you have. Anybody that's been through a desert season of life, and maybe a desert area of life. Here's what you know about deserts there, the emotional deserts, the spiritual deserts, the, those, those hardships of life. You find out this, that, that those deserts are dry, and they are arid, and they are lonely, and they really, really, really seem God-forsaken, don't they? 
And we know what those deserts feel like. They break our heart. They, they confuse our, our mind. They make it where we, where we struggle for our, we, we struggle to believe our dreams. We, we sometimes struggle with our faith. Sometimes we struggle with our belief in a loving God. And we, it, we struggle in the desert. It's, it's what the mystics called the dark night of the soul. Isn't that a perfect description of what happens to us sometimes in the, in, in the desert? But here's the thing, too, that we understand that sometimes we're in a desert because of decisions we made. Sometimes we found ourselves in a time in life because we turned our back on God. We rebelled against God, something like that. But something else we know, if you, anybody that has been, want, been serving God for a while, you understand this, that sometimes you find yourself in a desert because you said yes to God and because you were obedient to God. Sometimes you find yourself in a, in, a, in a desert there. And what do, you do with, what do you do with those times? Because anybody who has gone through, it seems like in the Bible, that is, that, that is a, a mighty person of our faith has gone through a desert, literally and figuratively. I mean, literally they went through a desert. You see Joseph in the Old Testament, and you see him being, being uh, sold into slavery by his brothers and ended up in Egypt for a long time. And you have Moses who, who, who found himself in a, a desert because of something he had done, and he found himself in a desert for decades. You have David. How about this one? How would you like to be a, a teenager, and you were anointed the next king by the prophet Samuel, and the very next thing you find yourself doing is, is uh, hiding from the king, the, that king, because he's trying to kill you. I don't know if you know this, but David spent several years in the desert, the Bible says. In fact, he was hiding in a cave in a desert. One of the heroes of our faith was a caveman for several years. And then you've got, you have Saul and and, and Paul. And after his conversion, uh, Galatians 1.17 tells us that he spent three years in the Arabian desert. And then, of the big one, you have Jesus after this incredible moment where, where God spoke to him in such a beautiful way at his, at his baptism, watch what happens. This seems crazy. In uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Where do you think he'd be led by the Spirit? Into the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And we're saying, wait a second, that can't be right. There's no way. I mean, why would the Spirit lead him, lead him into the desert? Certainly, we, we, we misread that. Certainly, that would be that he, he led him into to lush valleys and, and a beautiful mountaintop with an incredible scenery. Certainly, that's what it says. But instead, led him into the desert. Why in the world would the Holy Spirit lead the Son of God into the desert? Because apparently, there was something that he learned in the desert that he couldn't learn anywhere else. And that's true also, isn't it? That, that, that he's not alone, that, that life, life is, different from the, is different after the desert. I mean, think about Joseph again. Joseph ended up being the, the, the person who, uh, who, who became second in command of, of the whole known world at that time. Moses ended up leading his people, was the, was the leader and got them out of, the, out of Egypt. You have, you have every story, you have David who became not only the greatest king of Israel, but possibly one of the greatest kings, if not the greatest king that ever, that ever lived on this, on this earth. And then you have, I, we, and then Jesus. Don't miss this. Jesus began his ministry after the desert. It wasn't until after he had gone through the desert that he began his ministry. Apparently, Jesus had to go through something in the desert. Joseph had to go through something in the desert. Moses had to go through something in the desert. Every one of them had to go through something in the desert in order to get to the other side. Something happened to the desert. 
And so, uh, but here's the problem is a lot of times when we face the, the, the desert situations, we usually jump to one of four conclusions. Tell me if I'm wrong here. One of the first ones is God must be angry with me. I mean, I, otherwise I wouldn't be in the desert. If, if God weren't angry with me, I wouldn't be in the desert. But then you, you, you take a look at and, and see that uh, God called David a man after his own heart. And that was before he went into the desert, right before he went into the desert. Maybe we say this, I must have sinned. So, certainly I've did something wrong or I wouldn't be a, in, a, in a desert. But Jesus never sinned and yet he found himself in the, in the desert. A third thing is we say, I must have missed God. This is a big one. We say, you know, I, I w- if, if I just obeyed God, if I really heard from him, certainly I wouldn't be in the desert like I am right now. I must have missed him on the, on the way. But Mary and Joseph did exactly what God told them to do and yet they found themselves in the desert, not because of disobedience, but because of obedience. And then another one is, God's abandoned me. I mean, God must have just left me. He must not really love me anymore. He must not care about me anymore. He's abandoned me. But with Joseph in the Old Testament, you know what the Bible says twice? When he was sold to slavery in Potiphar's house, you're asking, where in the world was God in this? And the Bible says, but God was with Joseph. And then he's falsely accused, and certainly now, where's, where's God in all this? And he finds himself in a desert, I mean, in a dungeon in the desert. Where was God in this? The Bible says, and God was with Joseph. The Bible goes out of its way to saying God had not abandoned Joseph. In fact, God was with him in just a special way, even in the middle of the desert, even a dungeon in the desert. So here's the question, why in the world, why in the world would a loving God who loves us, who cares about us, why would he allow us to go through the desert? Because we've all probably been there at one degree or another. And sometimes we're in seasons of life that are a desert. Sometimes it seems like a long season of life that is a a desert. Maybe it's just one area. Why would God allow that? First is because of protection. Uh, that sometimes God protects us by taking us into a desert. This is exactly what happened with, with Joseph and, and Mary, right? God said, I, the reason I'm doing this, I'm telling, sending you in the desert, is to protect you and your family, to protect baby Jesus. That's the reason I'm sending you there, because uh, Herod is, gonna, is out to kill him, and I'm sending there to protect you. I want you to think about how many times in our life that you have, that you've prayed for something, and it didn't work out. And what you prayed for didn't happen. And you were heartbroken. You were discouraged. You were heartbroken. Sometimes you, you may have been devastated because it didn't work out the way you wanted to. And then, then you look at it years later and you look back in hindsight and you go, thank you, 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 God, for not answering that prayer. Because what God was doing, you didn't even know it at the time, but God was protecting you from yourself. You didn't know the future. You didn't know what was best for you, but God knew what was best for you. God knew the future, and God in his love and his protection said no to something, even though it broke your heart at the time. You rejoiced in it later. You know, there's sometimes that that happens, and we look back, and we still don't understand why it happened. And that's the time when, when faith becomes faith, isn't it? When you go, God, I don't understand why you did that, but here's what I know. I trust your heart. I trust that you did it for the, the best. I know, you know, as a, as a parent, you know that you, you do things sometimes your kids will never understand and you do it because you love them and you care for, for them. And if our, we as, as parents can do that, even though we are evil, how much more does God do that? And where faith is this, faith is faith when it's all you're holding on to. Faith is faith and we got nothing else. Faith is faith when, when, when everything seems to be contrary to what you believe and, and what you believe about God and what you know about everything and, and it just seems contrary and that you, when it's all you have hold on to, that is when faith is faith. Not in the middle of the, the lush valley, but it's in the middle of the, of the desert. And another thing is deserts have a way of getting our attention 
don't they? In fact, we were at a, at a table at the, at the walking as Jesus walked thing that we're doing on Wednesday nights, which has been phenomenal. And I think everybody that's been through that has been life-changing for, for them. But I remember one of them asked the question and said, said, why does God allow tough times to happen? And one guy immediately said, I loved it. He said, he said, I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing about it is it sure gets our attention, doesn't it? And I'm not saying God causes pain and God causes suffering and God causes those. We know where those come from. It comes from the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God is so awesome and he's so good, he can use the pain and you can use the suffering to get our attention in in life. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Proverbs said it like this, Proverbs 20, 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make a change, uh, to make us change our ways. And how many of you would say at least one time in your life that it took a painful experience for you to understand and change, and change the way you live life, right? I mean, probably every one of us, if we're, if we're honest. And I know something. I know as a pastor, I know that God can do more in, 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 in somebody experiencing a moment of pain or a season of pain than I can in a thousand sermons. It is something about pain, right? It is something about pain that gets our attention, that wakes us up. Usually it is not the light that transforms us and makes us do, live a different way. It is usually the heat that makes us, uh, makes us do that. And, and God prepares us uh, in the desert as well, doesn't he? I mean, I want you to think about those who, who, who do any cooking. You know this. You have the ingredients, but it's not ready yet, is it? I mean, it may be there and everything may get together in this casserole and everything, but it's still just a bunch of yuck until you cook it. And it's when it's cooked, it's when it's prepared. And sometimes it takes hours to prepare this thing. But when you do it, then somehow it's when the baking gets done and, and that transforms it just from a bunch of ingredients to a delicious meal. And we know that too in, in the rest of life. We know that, it, that it, it took basic training to take recruits in to make them soldiers. That it takes, that it takes camp to, to, to change an athlete into a, into a player and players into a team. We know that, that sometimes it takes preparation in order for us to become everything that, that we're supposed to be in whatever area that, that is. And you think about how God used the desert to transform the people that we just talked about. Joseph was a, was a young guy that, that was a braggart, right? I mean, he's, hey, listen to my dream. Hey, don't you like my coat? Hey, don't you like this? And, and God had to change him from that into, in, into the leader that he needed to be. And he went, through, he went through leadership training in Potiphar's house. He went through leadership training in the, in the dungeon. And it took that in order for so he could lead over here, lead all of, all of the, basically the known world at that time. He had to do this training over here in order for that to happen. Same thing with Moses. Moses did laps in the, in the desert for 40 years with, with a bunch of sheep. And that was perfect training for leading God's sheep and God's people in the desert for 40 years as, as, as well. It took David, uh, it took David over here, that he, uh, the training that he had with, with a bunch of misfits in the, in the desert and, and doing his sh- leading sheep there in order to lead God's people over, over here. And listen to, listen to this. This is what God said about the children of Israel before they went to the promised land. God allowed them to spend a significant amount of time in the promised land. It was longer than what they expected or what they wanted, but here's what he told them why. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know that was in, what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you 
causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that a, that a person does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Your clothes didn't wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then that in your heart, that a person, that a man, as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And it took Mary and Joseph to go through the desert in order to fulfill the prophecy that God had for their life and for, for Jesus' life. And I remember hearing a story about a guy that, that, was, that was watching a, a butterfly trying to emerge from a chrysalis and was having a bear of a time, just a horrible, terrible, terrible time. And finally, the guy, just in his mercy, grabbed some scissors and cut the, cut the chrysalis out, and the, and the butterfly came out easily. Uh, but the butterfly never flew. And the, a friend came up and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking at this butterfly. I helped it out, and I, I got it out of the chrysalis, but now it's not flying. And he said, that's because you destroyed the butterfly said, what do you mean? He said, he took, it needed to, to, to go through that stress and go through that, that anguish and go through that pain in order to, to be able to have wings strong enough to fly when it was supposed to fly. And, if, it, and you know, if, if God does that, sometimes maybe, 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 maybe God has us go through a chrysalis. And maybe, maybe, maybe God bakes us for a little while in order not because he doesn't love us because we were supposed to king it and, cre- and queen it. And we we're supposed to be on the other side of that. And maybe it's be, because God has a promised land for us. And in order for us to be prepared for the promised land, we have to go to the desert before we do that. And maybe we have to go through a desert in order for God to, to fulfill the prophecies in our life. As, as well. And maybe in order to fly, which God has created us to do, maybe we need to, to have our wings stretched and we need to go through a, a difficulty there as well. So God in his love sometimes allows that to happen. So here, but here, don't miss this. It's much easier to go through the desert when you remember a few things. Next week, don't miss next week because we're putting this whole thing to, together. And next week is kind of, the first two weeks are kind of setting up for next week. But here's this, if we remember these three things, it'll help us through the deserts of life. The first thing is, Know uh, when you know and remember who you are. Listen to what happened to Jesus right before he went to the desert. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And maybe, maybe, maybe the reason God did that exactly right at that time was because he needed it in the desert. Jesus apparently needed to hear his daddy's love and he needed to hear that he was the, uh, the child of God and he needed to know that his dad was proud of him and his dad believed in him. And you know, you and I aren't the Messiah and we're not, the, you know, we're not in God in human flesh, but I want you to know the same thing applies to, to you. You are a precious child of God. You are a God that just, we said before, that you are, that God sang over you last night. God knows the number of hairs you have on your head. You are the apple of God's eyes, the, 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 Bible, the Bible tells us. And so in the, in the same way that maybe you need to hear that in, in knowing who you are and knowing God's love for you, especially when you may not be feeling that love or experiencing that love, to know that, to know it's true, to know that that hasn't diminished in, in any way. It doesn't, make, it doesn't make it easy in the desert, but at least it makes it bearable going, knowing that God's presence and God's love goes, goes with you. Another thing is remember there's purpose in the pain. And I can understand that. It's mom's. 
Uh, you all are amazing. It blows me away. It's just incredible to, to me what you go through. Uh, you go through the, the morning sickness. You go through all the struggles of, 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 having the, of going through the pregnancy. And then you go through the pain and the anguish of, uh, of childbirth. And you do it all because you know something, because you know there's something beautiful on the other side. You know there's something amazing on the other side. You know that, that, that those, those, those morning sickness and everything is, is because there's, there's something taking place and there's some, in a, a, a beautiful child being, being created inside of you. And you know that the only way that that's going to happen and come to the outside is through cramps and through, through strain and through struggle and through all that and everything. And you go through that because you know there's something beautiful on the outside. And, and I just wonder if we know that with, with physical life, can't we understand that with God, the same the God that created that beautiful process is the same God that created it that maybe, maybe, maybe that he's, he, is, he is birthing something inside of us. And maybe sometimes we need to go through difficulty as we go through, uh, through that. Something else is, um, and, and oh, here's two passages that really that point to that uh, directly. For, the first one is First Peter. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, listen to this, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And there's some people in here that are going, amen. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold. Understand that. The greatest thing you've got in your life is your faith, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. And in James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Did you understand what that's saying? God is saying he will allow us to go through tough times in our life so God can refine us. This is the plan for God has for the desert, to refine us, to develop our character, to develop our perseverance, to mature us, and to prepare us for what God wants to do in our, in our life. God's, don't miss this, God's plan for you in the desert is to prepare you for your dream. God's plan for you in the desert is to prepare you for the dream. You know, even, even in the worst of situations, and it was like I understood this for the first time, that, that Joshua, think of it, Joshua was in the desert for no problem of his own, for no, no, nothing that he did wrong. It was because everybody else did things wrong. It was he and, and Caleb, remember there were 12, tri, 12 spies that went out to try to uh, spy out the promised land. And 10 of them came back with a horrible thing and said, so there's giants in the land. We're not going to be able to go and defeat them. They're incredible. They're huge. And we're like grasshoppers in their eyes and they're going to eat us up. That's the words they said. And Caleb, Joshua and Caleb said, no, 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 no. Yeah, they may be big, but God's bigger. And we're going to eat them up. They're not going to eat us up. We're going to eat them up because God's on our side. And the people, they listened to the 10. And said, we don't want to go in the, into the promised land. And God said, okay, this generation will not go into the promised land. And even though that Joshua was one of the people, he, he ended up in the promised land, but he had to go through 40 years doing laps in the wilderness because of somebody else's decisions and because of somebody else's sins. And there are people in this room right now that you've gone through pain and you've gone through suffering because of somebody else's sin. That you have spent time in the desert because of somebody else's decisions, because of somebody else doing the wrong thing. But I want you to know that even then, God, God was, preparing, uh, he was preparing Joshua for his dream. He was preparing Joshua. He started out as just this assistant to Moses. Then he went to spy. And then he went to mighty warrior. And then he went to leader of God's people. God was fulfilling the dream in him, even though that he was suffering of it because of somebody else's decisions and stupidity. 
And something else there, there too is, you know, um, is this, is, this is really important. Do not miss this. Do not miss this. Is that we know God cares about our comfort. Otherwise, he wouldn't send the comforter. Otherwise, he wouldn't give us peace that passes understanding when we go through things. But there's something God cares about more than our comfort, and that's our character. And unless we understand that, we're going to be so frustrated in life. We're going to be so frustrated when, when tough things happen because, because we're not going to understand. We think that the greatest thing that God has for us absolutely is just make sure we, we're, we're, we're happy, sat, and fassy, fat, and sassy all the time, right? That if we think of that. And so, but here's the thing. I have a, a friend of mine. Uh, my dermatologist is my friend, too. And he has intentionally hurt me at least two times a year. He goes and he looks at me over and he sees if there's anything that's, you know, that's, that's suspect and he freezes it off with liquid nitrogen. And liquid nitrogen hurts, right? I mean, it hurts. It does not feel good. I'm not there with warm, fuzzy feelings. It hurts. It leaves a scab. And then he has, he has cut me open from time to time and left a scar there. Why would he do that if he's my friend? Because he knows that a little bit of pain now, if it can save me from a whole lot of pain and even maybe sickness and death later, that he's willing to, to let me do that, right? Now, he doesn't enjoy my pain. He doesn't go, as he's doing this stuff. He doesn't do that, but he allows me to do that because he loves me. And, and, if, and he cares about my well-being, not my momentary happiness, but my well-being. And God cares about the same thing. He cares more about your, 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 your final thing here. He cares about your future. He cares about where you're going to end up more than your momentary pain at this, at this, this moment. And he understands, he, he cares more about, uh, about, our, about our character than he does about our comfort. And he cares about, don't miss this, it's because he knows there's something better on the other side. You know, my dad would take us on vacations every year. And I lived in Colorado, so to get to any place, it seemed like we had to go through something. Now, Kansas is not a desert, but it might as well be, right, sometimes? Because if you ever drive through to Kansas, it's just a long way of a lot of wheat and a lot of things like that. And, and it's beautiful, but it's just it's a long thing. And then on the other side, you've got the, the deserts of Arizona and the deserts of New Mexico and the deserts of Utah and the, and the Mojave Desert and, the, and, and Death Valley. And I've driven through those dozens and dozens of times. Why would my dad let me go through a desert every year because he knew that there was something better on the other side that on the other side there was Disneyland on the other side there was my cousins and on the other side there was something wonderful to to see and he knew that he only the only way we get could get to the other side was to go through a desert and sometimes God when he has something fantastic over here he knows we have to get go through a desert to to do that and I said this to the leadership a, a few few weeks ago but I said you know I went through a through a tough time I've gone through a, a desert and I remember calling out to, to God in the midst of that saying, God, I know this, you would never do anything wrong and I know you love me so I know it's my perspective. But here's the thing, I would never let my child go through the pain that I'm going through right, right now. And I remember hearing, uh, I said that to a friend and my friend said, would you allow your child to go through that pain knowing there was something much better on the other side? And I said, I'd do that. And God sometimes allows us to go through momentary pain for something on the other side. And if we would do that, as, as wicked as we are, how much more would God, if he knows the future, he knows what's there. We don't know what's there. He knows that. And, he is, and so he's, if, if you knew that you were going to go through the Mojave Desert for, for a few hours in order to get to Disneyland, he's going to allow us to, uh, to do that. Something else is remember, and this is huge, remember God's promises. Romans 8.28 and there's one word in here that seems impossible. 
If, it, if this weren't, word weren't so severe, we'd believe it in a heartbeat. But this word is so absolutely inclusive, we, have to, we go, there's no way this can be true. It just seems too good to be true. But here's what it says. And we know that God causes, here's the word, everything to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I mean, everything, that means everything. It means everything, that he's going to work that out for our, for our good. And we don't know how. We don't know how that God does it. But do you think that maybe, maybe, maybe that that even means the desert things of life? Even those dry places, even those seemingly God-forsaken places, do you think that God even means those that he's worked everything out towards our good? And here's the thing. If we really believe that God loves us, and has the best plan for us, if we really believe that there's a purpose in our pain, if we really believe that God will work everything, including the deserts of life for our good, it doesn't make the desert fun and joyful, but maybe it makes it bearable. Maybe it makes it where we realize we can get to the other side. And something we may not thought of before is this. God enables us to go through the desert to bless other people who are going through the desert, to encourage them as they go through their own desert. Here's what the Bible says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our trouble. There's that word again, all of our troubles. Thank you, God, that you comfort us in all of our troubles. And here's the reason, so that we can comfort those in any trouble uh, with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So God's saying, you know what? Not only do I comfort you for your sake, I comfort you in your trials for other people's sake. And that's saying that... um, that here's, here's what happens. Here's the reason we can do that. Because if we've gone through the same situation, if we've gone through that same desert, suddenly we have an empathy for those people, don't we? I mean, it's not just the sympathy that we go, okay, I, I wonder, I'm sure that would be hard. But we have an empathy because we've gone through that same desert. We, we have the street cred to say, I know how you feel. We have the, we have the, 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 the compassion in the, in, for them. We have the, the grace. We have the wisdom of what to say because we've made it to the other side or making it to the other side of that. And I don't know how many times in my life God has blessed me with people. If I'm going through a desert, God has blessed me with people who have gone through that desert and they can help take me to the other side. You know, there's a, uh, a person, one of my, my favorite people in this world is a, a man by the name of Benson. Benson is a Trukana tribesman, uh, in, which is, uh, Trukana is an area of, of Africa, of Kenya, right at the Sudan border. He's six foot five, and he is so skinny, he makes me look like a sumo wrestler. And I love this guy. And we've been all through the desert so many times to, together. And I'll, I'll never forget one time going through there. And, and we're, we're going from village to village to tell people about Jesus Christ. They've never heard about Jesus. They've never even seen a white man before. And so I remember going from desert to desert. And we're sitting there looking. And, 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 and it's a desert. And he would go, we need to go this way. And I'd go, how do you know this? How can you possibly tell to, to go this way? I, I mean, it, every dune looks the same. How can you possibly tell which way to go? But we'd go that way, and sure enough, exactly where he said there was going to be a village, there's a village. I said, and I looked at him one time, I said, how do you know this? How do you know where to go? Don't miss this, he said, because I've been this way before. And there's people that have been this way before. And sometimes when God helps us and helps get us to the other side of the desert, we've been there before and we can help other people through that desert as well. And I want to tell you one story that happened with that, that day that I said that to him. We, tr- we walked 30 miles in sand 
uh, 30 kilometers, sorry, in sand that day. And I don't know about if you've ever walked a mile in sand, but it's like dog miles, right? I mean, it just seems like everyone is 7 to 10 miles long. It, it, was, the, it was the hardest day of walking I've ever done. And, it's, and Pat put this on top of it, too, that it was right at 120 degrees. And what I was wearing was jeans and also wearing what was their tribal outfit, which is a, a wool blanket. Now imagine a wool blanket in 120 degrees. And then there's about every kilometer or so, there'd be a scrub brush about this big, a little, little bitty tree, and, and we'd walk to that. And here's the thing, you'd get a moment, you'd get a few minutes of, of shade, but the problem was that's also where everybody went to the bathroom. So we either had shade in a stench or, or you had sun, you know, just, just a blinding, blinding heat that felt like the surface of the sun. And so, I, but I remember that day going to one village and there was a, a tree there, which was amazing. And there were all the, the tribal leaders under the tree talking. And you go to the tribal leaders first before you go to the village. And, and, we, and, and we started to share, had a chance to share the gospel with, uh, with them. And they all so interested and they all received Jesus and gave us permission to go to the, the village to tell the other, the other people this incredible news. And I remember them just going off. I mean, for a couple minutes, blah, 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 blah. so animated, so animated, so animated. And finally, I said to, the, my, to Benson, I said, I said, what are they saying? And he said, he said, they're saying they always knew there was a God. They just didn't know how to find him. And I'll tell you this with all my heart. I would go through that desert a hundred times over, a hundred times over for that village, for those guys under that tree in the rest of the village, a hundred times over that I'd go through that desert. And some of us, sometimes we'd go through a desert and we'd get to the other side and we'd say, I wouldn't make my worst enemy go through that desert. But what God's done in my life, I'm thankful for it. What God's done in my life, thank you God in your mercy and thank you God that you got me to that other side and thank you God that I can now use this testimony to get other people to the other side as well. And here's the end of that testimony. So I had people praying for me right away. And I knew God had the plan. I, the whole time I just kept saying, I know you've got the plan. And so um, we went and um, scheduled the, the lumpectomy. It was six years to the day that I had had it done on the other side. And the surgeon said, well, can you do it tomorrow? So again, with the urgency, we became more anxious um, with what that meant. And so we did. I had the, the surgery the next day. And, um, you know, we had planned and we had talked with him all about what it would mean to do the double mastectomy and the reconstruction and what that would involve. And so as we were moving towards this, um, I had to wait 12 days before my post-op appointment. And uh, not having heard anything, you know, we just assumed it meant this is what we're going to be doing. And so we've talked with people at work. Um, we're thinking about, you know, essentially putting our lives on hold for the next two months. And was ready said I knew God had the plan. I needed to know the timetable. I'm a planner. I need to know what the plan is. And uh, so we go to the, to the surgeon to get the results and to, to hear what the plan is. And my blood pressure was very high because I, again, was obviously anxious. And uh, the, the girl who took my vitals on, she left. And another woman walks back in in a few minutes and she said, you don't know. And I said, what? And she said, you don't have cancer. So I burst into tears <laughs> because I'm like, you know, what are you talking about? Um, it was like a major roller coaster ride um, mentally. And so the surgeon comes in and, and he says, yeah, you don't need any other treatment. So we can go ahead with it if you want to. Um, 
but I want you to think about it and talk with the oncologist. So the oncologist calls us and um, that afternoon and he said, Kim, I never thought we'd be having this conversation that you don't have cancer. And Andy said, well, we've had a lot of people praying for her. I was on prayer lists everywhere, including an international prayer list through a friend of my daughter's. And he said, all I can tell you is that it worked because you don't have cancer and you don't need any treatment at all. And so it took me about 36 hours to get happy <laughs> because I was like, what are you talking about? You know, you go from here and I'm ready and got my life on hold. And then it's like, nope, just kidding. So that night I laid awake all night and I just kept thinking, I need to, to share this story. This has to be the reason why. I had to do this. And so I want everybody to know the power of prayer is a superpower. And the biggest superhero is God. Let me ask you one question. How many were inspired by that? Uh, look at this, but think of it. She had, you know, here's what we don't realize sometimes. In order to have a testimony, we have to go through a test. In order to have a miracle, there has to be something, an impossible situation in our, uh, in our life. And sometimes it takes us going through the test to give inspiration and hope and, um, and possibilities to other people. You know, some of you may be in here and you say, I've been through a, I've been through a desert for so long. I don't even remember what it's like on the other side. Here's the thing. Sometimes, we know this when we're cooking a Thanksgiving turkey. Sometimes the bigger the turkey, the longer it has to cook. And maybe, maybe, maybe the reason it's been so long is because God is cooking up something so amazing in your life. God has a promised land for you. God has things that he wants to do. God is faithful and, and true. And, and, and he doesn't, God has not brought you into the desert to keep you in the desert. God has brought you in the desert or allowed you to go in the desert in order to get you to the other side so you can king it and queen it and experience your promised land and fulfill the prophecies that God has for you. And so, baby, you can fly if we can bow our head and close our eyes. If the, the prayer team could come forward at this time and maybe you're going through a tough time and you're in that struggle and you're in that desert and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe it's just one area, maybe it's your whole life. Please come forward, even now as I'm speaking. This is so people can be praying for her, for you. And God, I pray for every person that's in going through a, a desert situation. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you, um, thank you, God, that you're with us in the desert. You never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, God, there's purpose in the pain. Thank you, God, that, uh, that you're preparing something in our life so that we can king it or queen it on the other side. And thank you, God, that you never, ever, ever leave us or forsake us. And you promise to work everything <laughs> together for good because we love you and we're called according to your purpose. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.